Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. All right. <laughs> Waiting for slow, you. Slow roll. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This well, is Father Mike. Father Mike, Father John. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be together. On a, uh, here we are at uh, St. Joe's. Hanging out and uh, getting into the groove after a little ribs for dinner tonight. Yeah. It had the, uh, the dry rub on the ribs, mm-hmm. which I like. Mm. I like sauce, but I like the dry rub. Is yeah. that a Texan thing? You know, I'm not sure. We got Kansas City guys here, and they're kind of like, you guys don't even know what you're talking about when it comes to I don't. Know, I just know what... Have you ever had barbecue in Kansas City? We did after spirituality year. We went to... Right. And I remember red drink and barbecue. It was good, but it I was good, I, yeah. I'm not like the expert. Yep, that's the place to go for it. But uh, yeah, so we're uh, rolling into the uh, new semester here. Two uh, right. professors trying to kind of... I'm trying to get my bearings straight here in the new semester. I always find that the turnover into the spring semester comes a lot quicker. In the summer, you got more time to kind of get the fall courses in order, but it's like, oh man, we're yeah, rolling. It didn't feel like there was much of a break, frankly. No, but no. That's all right. That's all right. Once you, did, you get into the rhythm, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. You're feeling good. You didn't get to swim at the manatees, as you were saying. I would have liked break. to. Yeah. No, I didn't get out of I didn't get out of town. I did go up to the mountains, but I didn't get to Florida or whatever. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't feel like I need to go too far when I got my mountains to play in. Yeah, we were just talking about beach people versus mountain people, and uh, you're both. You like you like them both. You choose all. I do. Yeah, I do. I like the beach, but. It's, there's there's nothing nearby here. Where can I mean, you... we have some reservoirs. Yeah. Does that count? I don't think so. My sister likes to go to the uh, Bear Creek Reservoir. Oh yeah. Okay. In the summer, yeah. and then, but it's just like floating and then paddling on one of those paddle boards. I can't. That doesn't really do it for me. The paddle I can do that for a day or an afternoon. But then it's not like I'm hanging out. That's not a beach. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I remember Minnesotan friends coming into town and just laughing. They look at our. Reservoirs. <laughs> reservoirs. Like, you got to be kidding me! But it's like, yeah, we don't have the lakes. We don't have the water. There's something to it, you know. But uh, it's also really dry. I think um, I would like to. This is still a dream of mine. To anybody out there with a boat on Lake Dillon, ah, uh, I would like to sail on Lake Dillon. Okay. And I think we've tossed out the name Mike DeGuidis. Yes, Mike DeGuidis. Never had an invitation from Mike DeGuidis to sail on Lake Dillon. So, Mike, to guide us, if you're out there, the, uh, remember your old friend, Father I Mike. I don't know here. if Mike has a boat on uh, Dylan, but uh, he, he just might hear this, or somebody who knows might hear it. So you, That's right. He, he, well, if you know Mike, to guide us. You know, Cody Bliss, you met Cody this weekend. Yeah, Cody. Cody, he's a nice guy. He's got a boat for you. That's he's trying right. to sell it. Unfortunately, it's in Florida. So, oh. so yeah, you might have to uh, schlep it all the way back. So. But he knows how to sail. So yeah. Maybe, maybe I talked to him. Yeah, he was planning on going around the world at one point. So you don't dream of that kind of thing? Nah, it doesn't do it for me. I mean, the thought of like being in the middle of the Pacific for weeks on end, I'm like, no thanks, man. I don't oh, know. Man. I don't know. It's the dream. It's the dream. The big wide open. Yep. Do yep. you are what about like going off the grid into the mountains? Into the wild? That that I think so. Yeah. I don't think I'm as awesome as I think I am. I'd probably die pretty quickly, but um, that kind of stuff is great. We, we we love those hut trips and things like that. So you're a camper. Yeah. Could you rough it? How long could you rough it? You think? Say there was a zombie apocalypse and you had to go to the woods. Yeah. 
I I, don't, I think I would try and find Howdy up in Craig, Colorado. And, yeah, uh, that's wise. Move into his place where he's got lots of guns and, uh, you know. Do you think you could catch a fish with a spear? Uh, I don't think so. Or See, like trap a, I don't know, what, raccoon or something? I don't know. I read The Hatchet as a kid. Maybe I got to brush it. up on that again, you know. You remember The Hatchet. <laughs> I forgot about The Hatchet. No, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think I'd last long, but maybe that should be like a New Year's resolution is like learn how to be more of a survivor. My brother's a Boy Scout. I think he could do it. Yeah. He could, he could spear fish. That's and my brother Build too. a cabin and survive. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he could. I guess you're, yeah, okay. I'll credit where credit is due. My brother could, could rough it. But I, as I remember, if I'd camp with those Boy Scouts, it was, it was like whittling. Yeah. You know, they weren't like incredible pros at survival skills they love to start fires though they were all pyromaniacs at least my brother and his buddies yeah starting the fire that's also like if you go camping with anybody the one who gets to start the fire is kind of like a privileged position exactly so you want want to kind of race race to get race to get to the fire and then you kind of claim your turf yeah you been there or are you just the fire guy i had to well growing up i never did it because my brother always uh he was the fire yeah, guy. He's he, the scout. He was the scout. So uh, he would do it all the time. And then at a certain point, I realized I was like, "You better know what you're doing. You got to get. You got to be able to get a fire going." You know, a nice place to practice fire starting is at Goble's house because he's got that real fireplace. Oh yeah, for the fireplace. Yep. So you can. No, I'm talking maybe like um, New Year's resolution. I learn how to start a fire with a stick and a bow. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, like a piece of string. Well, you're kind of a New Year's resolution guy, at least in the past. I remember one year you were going to dance more. I did, know, and I did. And you fulfilled that resolution. What's this year? Well, this year, this last year, I did a couple of books a month, and I liked that, so I'll keep that ball rolling. Um, what else? This year, uh, yeah, I have some like weightlifting goals. Oh, you do? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to you know, bench my, my body weight three sets of 10 reps. Okay. And squat stuff and... Deadlift, deadlift stuff. I don't know why I got all into the weightlifting goals. Because you've been hanging out with Larkin and uh, what's his face. That's true. Yeah, Patrick Deveni. Patrick Deveni. Yeah. Yeah, I do. There's something about feeling strong. It's the grandma bones. Yeah. I've got weak bones. I don't know if you all know this, but I've got brittle bones. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe low, the low phrase bone. was the bone density of a postmenopausal woman. That I do. Right. And right. I have what, what, for the last twelve years, fifteen years, or something. But I think I have strong bones. I don't know. You drinking milk? I drink milk. I take a um, daily multivitamin. Okay. Like Centrum Silver or whatever. Old people. Yeah. (laughs) We're getting old, man. (laughs) I know. I I think when you start taking vitamins, that's the the sign. Yeah. It's like... There was a... Sometime last week where I said the phrase, kids these days. Kids these days. (laughs) So I am getting old. I must be getting old. Well, it is funny. I mean, you're you're coming up on your 11th anniversary. I'm coming up on 10. We're talking to these guys at dinner tonight. It was fun. You're kind of talking about priestly life and how do you yeah. manage things. Like, hey, this is kind of, we're talking to the young pups, you know. But I don't have wisdom for them. Father John gives them all these wisdom, you know, these these tips for life, life hacks and work hacks and everything. And I I'm just trying to hold on. I've been uh, doing that for 11 years, apparently. Holding on? Yeah, <laughs> just trying to stay afloat. <laughs> Especially with the email thing. Well, but, yeah. I don't know. Some ways, I think I've grown, maybe. 
I definitely, I can definitely say that you have improved your email skill set over the last, you know, five years. That's for sure. I remember when we started uh, Companions thing and we were getting that house, there was one point where um, Father Glenn yelled at me because I hadn't responded to his email. Right. And he had sent it like, I don't know, that morning or something. (laughs) And he, he was like, he was like, don't you check it regularly? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, what's regular? At least twice a week. Right. <laughs> and he was mad because he wanted it like three times a day or something. Watch, though. These guys, The so Father Mike's being humble. He actually was given lots of advice tonight. And uh, one of which I hope it would be funny if one of them actually appropriated was your prior uh, email auto reply. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I will prayerfully discern a response in the next sixty to ninety days. It's like, yeah. So auto reply. You've always hated email, though. We've had rage against the machine. It's like rage against the email in the companions for as yeah. long as we go back. I know. I think it used it's to drive true. Glenn nuts. But well, thanks be to God for um, Father Tim Danaher. I mean, he is the man. It's like if we didn't, I I would let down a lot of people if if they were emailing me directly from the right. podcast. I already do that enough with parishioners and friends and stuff. Father, uh, Tim Danaher is the most overqualified email responder for any anywhere. The He's guy amazing. is amazing uh, on a number of levels, but he also uh, kind of manages the email correspondence for the podcast. And so we plays do like bluegrass. And, and plays bluegrass, yeah. He's an amazing guy. He Superhero. is. Superhero. Yeah, he is. He's a, he's a renaissance man for sure. He can do it all. But, where, do, uh, where does that term come from? The Renaissance man? That's yeah. a good question. I'm not sure. What, in the Renaissance, they were all like incredibly, <laughs> incredibly talented and versatile or something? I guess. I actually don't even know what that means. I just think when I think of Renaissance, <laughs> I think of like a jester and a king or something. Well, you did a podcast on being the Renaissance, yeah, the Renaissance man. Fair. You want to be the jester. <laughs> the Renaissance man. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you say here? Do you want to go? You want me to go? Well, I can, yeah, I can start it off. Sweet. So, let's see. We just celebrated um, podcast anniversary, Yep. by the way. Uh, happy anniversary. Steel anniversary. Steel anniversary. You said that, but I, I don't love it. I had to Google it. Steel, I think of like the anniversary is something like you give a gift to your spouse of a diamond or gold or silver those are all pretty cool but steel so you give on the 11th anniversary apparently you give them something steel (laughs) steel like a beam (laughs) maybe i don't know what even is where would you buy steel yeah exactly anyway well happy steel anniversary um we just celebrated the uh, feast of the baptism of the lord and when the when jesus goes down into the into the water, the, the tradition says that he blesses all the waters of the world. You know, it's uh, it's an image that I love. You know, I love nature and praying with nature. Right. So I've been kind of reflecting on um, how the the water is transformed into a blessing all over the world, and I'm not sure how it works. Like, technically, is it like kind of like the way that we talk about relics? If you touch something to a relic, it becomes a different kind of relic. So the water touches Jesus, and then the water droplets touch other water, flow oh, to the sea, yeah. touch all the other waters, and then eventually over the course of history, then every water is blessed. I've never thought about that does before. That, does that, I don't know how it plays out exactly. Yeah. He's supposed to have blessed all the waters of the world, though. Yeah. And uh, 
so I'm thinking about kind of like how the water is transformed. And I am working with uh, Colossians, the, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And they have this weird language. I don't understand that letter, so people can write in and tell me or whatever. But um, I'm trying to work it out. And uh, but there's there's one piece where Jesus is is said to be have become sovereign over all of the principalities and powers and elemental spirits of the world, the stoicheia. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm doing a little research, and some of the the reference is to the elements being like in Greek Platonic thought. You have basic elements like. Um, like Captain Planet, do you remember Captain Planet? Yep. What are the He's elements? A hero. Do you remember? Oh, I, yeah. So these kids in the sh- in Water, the cartoon. Fire. Yes. Earth. No. Yeah. Wind. Wind. And then there was one that was added for Captain Planet. Heart. Heart. Yeah. And then when their powers combine, they get Captain Planet. Right. Uh, but okay, so the ancient elements are of course uh, Earth, Water, Fire, and Wind. Okay, these are like the constituent parts of that make up all of nature. And it was thought in the ancient world in some places and in some, um, I don't know, like uh, religious practice, that there are particular spirits that belong to those elements or kind of reign over those elements. And you could have a devotion to those, those uh, spirits, you know, a devotion to whatever the spirit of water or fire or whatever these things. And uh, and then it's talking about these other spiritual powers, like principalities and powers and these other names that we have that eventually become the names of angels for us. And it's possible that at the time of the writing of uh, the epistle to the Colossians, that the, um, the folks in Colossae were being kind of uh, led astray by people who are saying that they have uh, a, a kind of privileged access to these spiritual powers. Almost like a mystical thing, but it was like a Gnostic thing where mm-hmm. not everybody gets access to them, but these kind of higher beings are ones that are aware of more things in the heaven. They know the truths. And so if you knew, if you know them, then you can boss everybody else around and tell them, you know, they don't know. So... Um I'm not too familiar with this and this line from Colossians. Uh, I've read it, obviously, but uh, any back story to that Old Testament, um, or is that kind of a Hellenistic thing? Is that a Greek, like what you're talking about? Yeah, so the Greek world celebrates the sort of connection between spiritual powers and the, uh, the natural world. There is a kind of a crossover into uh, Second Temple literature, apocalyptic Jewish literature, that associates angels with the order of the cosmos. So, um, like the stars are held in order by a certain kind of angel, and the moon and the sun, and then there's these just these various layers of angels, almost like choirs. They don't call them choirs, but they have these various levels that. Um, kind of manage the the sky and all of the celestial beings, and uh, and then um, eventually you get into like a, a higher as you ascend into these orders of angels, you have the spiritual powers that are that are like servants or priests in the heavenly sanctuary, and as you get closer to God, and this 
kind of becomes our tradition in the, in the Catholic tradition. You know, you have the masters of the angelology like um, Pseudo Dionysius. Mm-hmm. And Thomas Aquinas is, of course, the angelic doctor. Bonaventure talks about the, the angels and everything. So that's, that's more developed by the time you get into the medieval kind of angelology. But early on in the Second, um, second Temple apocalyptic literature, you do have references to these angels sort of being patrons over people, like um, St. Michael was the patron of the people Israel and was like the protector. And, and, um, and then you have these other angels who have different roles. And, and then you have, yeah, these, the, the angels are basically keeping order in the world and, um, and in, in nature. And um, if things get out of whack with the sky and the order there, or the way that we understand this, this celestial world, like uh, astronomy or this cosmology, then we're going to get things wrong on this side, and then the worship in the temple is going to be wrong in the dates. So things like um, the calendar and determining the calendar for the feasts was really controversial and important. Like around the time of Jesus, you had those Qumran mm-hmm. Essenes who were um, probably of a priestly group that had a problem with or there was a question whether you should follow a calendar based on the sun or on the moon. And the problem was that they thought that the Sabbath every eight days um, or every seven days had to correspond perfectly to the the Sabbath as it was created and it exists in heaven. So you could get off track on this side if you had your, um, your calendar wrong, right? So you... Um, this becomes mixed up between like observing the sky and trying to mark the calendar so that you get the, the ritual calendar, right? The liturgical calendar, if you will. And then um, trying to understand these angels and the order and the powers behind um, what keeps the order between God's will and then the, the sort of middle sphere that is angels keeping the order in the heavens and then the, the human beings trying to imitate that and trying to keep everything in harmony. Okay, so there are these sort of angels that run the, the, the powers of nature, things like that. So maybe that's related to these principalities and powers. Okay. Um, I don't know that for sure, but there is something of Jesus is becoming greater than the, the heavens, or is, is becoming greater than the angels, and has ascended to the highest of heavens. That's in the beginning of Hebrews, and also the concept here in, in Colossians. But, yeah, we just started reading the beginning of Hebrews in the office, and it, Paul, or whoever, the author of Hebrews, right, I won't right. presume, um, but they, uh, there's a real emphasis about that, about he is ascended above the angels. Like, there, there's, it's a pretty, I was surprised reading that again, just like, oh yeah, that's like, a, that's like a thing. Yeah, and he's taken our nature and kind of united human beings and then brought us up into this privileged place above, above the angels, which is... Kind of its own its own world. So I think that's what's happening there. But I want to just move it over to this question of Jesus becoming sovereign over all of nature. Okay, so you there is a, a, a frequent um, scriptural reference to the Psalms, to Psalm 110, that talks about Jesus um, being lifted up and then subjecting all things under his feet, or God subjecting all things under Jesus' feet. And so he's in heaven. The concept is 
where did Jesus go and why isn't he down here? Because he's in heaven until all things are subjected to him, all rulers of the world, all powers of the world. And then all of these also spiritual elements or anything. So it would be like the Roman Empire and all of the people who pretend power on this side. But then also like these spiritual things. Um, So one of those things, though, I think is that creation is being um, kind of taken taken back. Uh, God had had reigned over creation, and human beings had uh, related to creation in a way that creation could bring us into communion with God. And that's like the idea of the Garden of Eden, that we exist within this whole bubble that's somehow communicating with us God's grace and God's presence and all of these things. And until Jesus comes back, you have uh, a, a, a discommunication or like a, a, a disjunction between human beings and nature. And nature wants to communicate beautiful things to us, but it can't because of the fall. So you have Paul saying things like, all creation is groaning, awaiting the revelation of the children of God. Like, like nature wants to speak to us, but it can't. So all we get is the groaning. Right. You know? And maybe that's not the proper interpretation of that. Father Matt, see Father Matt yeah, book's Father Matt book thesis, has, The Theology of Groaning. Many jokes were made from that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And but it was still, a very fine work. still groaning. Yeah. yeah. But think of that, like, of the, um, all of nature wanting to speak to us of God, wanting to praise God the way the angels do, or wanting, um, yeah, wanting to bring us closer to God. So Jesus steps into the water of the Jordan and blesses all the waters of the earth. And now water itself has transformed and it has a power to speak to man um, of God's blessing and uh, to communicate something of God's word. So there's language in Isaiah that talks about God's word that falls from the sky like rain and then it bears fruit in the world. You know, so there's this association with the word of God. This it's like speaking to us, and then water. So the idea I, I want us to get our, our imaginations around water is supposed to be yelling at us, or singing, or speaking to us all the time. Hmm. That's funny. It's inter- it's an interesting uh, concept. I remember talking to a friend who applied for a. Uh, at a camp. It was like a camp up in Wyoming or whatever, and it was just a secular camp. And uh, they kept asking her about that she was a Christian. And they were like, and at a certain point, she's like, how did you know? And she's like, wait, you kept using the language of creation. Mm. Uh, And uh, because in modernity, uh, you lose that creator-creation distinction. And we don't talk about creation anymore. We talk about nature not in the way that you're talking about it, which is as yeah. creation, but nature as this kind of material, material self-autonomous, indifferent thing that then we, that we kind of, so like in Rousseau, for example, like modern thinkers are going to kind of honor that and acknowledge it, but just in, in its autonomy. And then in the postmodern world, nature becomes something that we can take control of and we can mm. create it. And then it, nature can speak about us. Right, and that's what a lot of technology uh, has used. So it, we've inverted the whole thing. But I think the ancient medieval world, uh, from which the the biblical 
uh, narratives arise is has much more of a sense of it's not pointing back to us and it's not something we control it's something that points beyond and i think that mm-hmm. ancient man and mo- and medieval man or men and women are really interested in what does this mean what does this have meaning for these physical realities there was a sacramental view of everything they express something that is invisible there's something beyond it and i really think that's been lost yeah. in the kind of modern world and maybe even before so you had, like, I think the, for, for a very long time, you're an anthropologist. For a very long time, human beings were at odds with nature. Nature was a threat. It was like you could run into famine or get stuck starving in a desert or you could have a flood or lightning storm or um, wildfires or tornadoes or earthquakes. Anything that, that nature poses a a threat to human beings and we have to kind of survive against this thing. And eventually some of religion comes out of trying to appease nature or slow it down or calm it down or control it. Um, and appealing to gods who have control over this or that within nature. So it, at, at one point nature might've been said to have been an enemy of human beings. You know, it's just a threat, a danger in a lot of ways. And then eventually you get to this kind of point where now, like you say, it's just a means for technology. It's almost just a stage for us and um, provides certain things that we could use. Steel. You know? Steel um, for the anniversary. For your beams, I guess. Right. I guess. Why can't I come up with something better than swords, I guess, maybe steel? Yeah, uh, buy him a sword. There you go. Okay, so, but now because of Jesus the whole world can speak to us differently. All of nature can speak to us differently. And water speaks to us in a particular way. It speaks to Christians in a, um, in a very beautiful way. So I'm going to read three strophes from the blessing of water at the baptism. Uh. And then we can talk about what they mean for how water speaks to us because Jesus was baptized and he transformed water and gave it to us as a gift through our own baptism. Okay? You okay. ready for that blessing? Do you yep. remember this blessing is real long? Yeah. At the baptisms. I, uh, I was wondering what you were going to do with that. I saw that book come in. I was like, oh, well, this will be interesting. Well, this is at a point in the baptism where everybody's squirming. Right. The, the child baby, is squirming. The, the child is screaming. And now yeah. a priest is going to say a prayer that's about an hour long. Right. Um, uh-oh. I had it marked. Great. All right. Oh, no. Filler time. Oh, boy. What if somebody says to you, what about these like super tsunamis? What do you call these things? The crazy water just destroying everything, you know? The deluge. The deluge. Um, I'm not saying that water is controllable. I'm not saying that it's not a... Um, it doesn't pose some, some serious... Um, Mega tsunami, that's the word. ...problems, but it, it, it also... Um, has a different meaning for us. Right. So I don't know that it's... I don't, I don't think this is as easy as God took water and then made it all benevolent in every way. I mean, it's pretty cool anyway. Like, it keeps us alive, and we're made... We're like bags of water. We're mostly water. The earth is mostly water. These kinds of um, realities. But we still live in a, a fallen world that can be threatening. But I think the Christian can see things differently and right. hear things. We have eyes to see and ears to hear so the water can shout to us like this message all right so here's um 
the beginning of the prayer of blessing over the water of baptism. Father, you give us grace through sacramental signs, which tell us of the wonders of your unseen power. They speak, the signs speak. In baptism, we use your gift of water, which you have made a rich symbol of the grace you give us in this sacrament. At the very dawn of creation, your spirit breathed on the waters, making them the wellspring of all holiness. The waters of the great flood, you made a sign of the waters of baptism that make an end of sin and a new beginning of goodness. Through the waters of the Red Sea, you led Israel out of slavery to be an image of God's holy people, set free from sin by baptism. Okay, then it goes on with Jesus and then our own baptism. So you got three Bible stories there that help us to understand and to hear the water speaking to us in a particularly Jesus way. So what's the first one? Creation. Creation. Okay, so what it draws to mind is this uh, the beauty of water and how it's life-giving, right? Uh, that if you imagine the uh, a rock floating around in the sky, spinning around as we are, um, what makes us different than all of the other rocks is that there's water. We're the blue planet. So Mars is a beautiful rock in the sky, but it's dry and is dead. For the most part. I, I don't know. They're looking for water or whatever, but hmm. um, it's not the blue planet. The blue planet is beautiful, and it speaks to us, that water, that blue speaks to us of the goodness of a creator who calls everything into being and says, this is good. This is good. This is good. What I have made is good. And, um, and fills the whole world with that kind of life and that kind of identity. So I propose that the first thing the water is speaking to us, because it's been blessed by Jesus, it's been taken over, it's been, he exercises sovereignty over it, and it speaks to the, the Christian of our dignity. You are alive because I want you to be alive. I have created you, and you are filled with water, and I will always provide for you, you know, that kind of providence and creation. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. Could you see water differently then? Yeah, I, I like the comment you made earlier about like the majority of our bodies, the majority of our planet, it's water. Yeah, you, water can, everywhere. you can't go for more than three days without water. Right. Yeah, it's the principle of life. It makes up, it sustains life and it really it builds up life. You know, I'm a gardener. If you take, you know, if you take some dry land, some dead land, you can probably make it come alive if you had enough water. Okay. Yeah. So it's speaking to us of dignity, and I want everyone, whenever they see water, whenever you take a drink of water, whenever you take a shower, whenever you are outside catching a snowflake on your tongue, to remember that that water is sending you the message that you are created out of love, and that you are good, and that God has willed you into life and sustains your life um, because, you, uh, because he wants you. That's it. You know, you're, you're blessed. Okay, second story. The waters of the great flood, you made a sign of the waters of baptism that make an end of sin and a new beginning of goodness. All right, so the story that comes to mind is um, Noah and the flood, right? And it's the rescue from death. Here, you had the whole world descending into chaos. And you have to really imagine that scene from uh, from Noah and the ark. 
the, how terrifying it was. Like, what if there were no good people left? Really? If we def- descended... And you can kind of see this, like, there's doomsday people, and you think of something like post-apocalyptic, like Mad Max or something. Mm-hmm. You know that reference that people know? Mad Max? No? From Stranger Things? No, Mad Max is a movie. Uh. It's like a post-apocalyptic movie where everything is falling apart. And since there's no order, there's no law. It's like anarchy rules, and it's everybody fending for themselves. So it'd be like Y2K or... Y2K. You know, pandemic. Right. And it'd be like that survival thing, but it's when, the, you know, the, the power goes out and everything's gone and food has run out and you have to either steal from your neighbor or die and uh, violence breaks out all over the world. People, there's nothing but chaos and death and destruction, right? God saves the people in the ark, throws them in the ark, and then the water becomes a means of their salvation and separates them from death and uh, gives them this salvation, this, this life. So it's a reminder of everlasting life, that death is not your end, that through Jesus you have been saved from death. And that's an effect of baptism, right? You're a new creation, and um, you have everlasting life, a promise that God will not let death be the last word. No? I, yeah, I wonder about, I mean, it seems like a big shift in Genesis in the first few chapters there of like um, water as life and then water as death. Like, um, and it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the Jewish feasts, which prefigure Christian sacraments and the Christian liturgical life, uh, are rooted first in creation and then in history. So first you have mm-hmm. what water is qua creation, Right, that it is life. It exists for life to create life, to bless. Um, that that life is good, and that God, who is life, desires that we live. Um, but then, salvation history continues, and it's God has to use these elements that are good in themselves, but actually to kind of to 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 create salvation, which is ultimately what's happening. Right? I mean, yeah, in the flood. Yeah, the instruments of salvation, and even to bring death. I mean, the, it's the drowning of death. It's the, um, the, the baptismal font. I've been taught this. I don't know. I'm just relaying something that I had heard. Um, used to be, long ago, used to be built in the shape of a coffin, where you go down and you plunge down into the, into the waters of baptism as a death, and into the tomb with Jesus. Hmm. And then you get you spring out from it like you're, you know, new life. Um, and it's not only what's happening ontologically with our soul, but also it's, um, it's a promise that even though our body is going to die, that God hates death and that he's promised us life. He wants us to live forever. And um, we had just celebrated um, or helped with a funeral of a friend. And, um, they make a big deal about baptism at funeral because we we know that we're facing like the big problems of life. Like why is life so short? How does it have meaning? Can we make can we make enough of the meaning um, of ourselves? Like can I look back at my life and say I did everything that I wanted to do? Nobody can say that, right? Um, we have to deal with the real problem of suffering and death. Everybody dies. At that funeral, I was really sad 
thinking, well, I mean, it was sad to see someone, uh, this good man had died. But uh, I was also thinking of, I hate that my parents are going to have to die. Yeah. And that my friends are going to have to die. And that I'm going to have to die. And that's not just like a moment where your lights go out. It's like things falling apart and suffering and everything that leads toward the taking away of the life of the person. You know? and, um, and so we take the water, we take the pall at the beginning of the funeral and cover the coffin with the white as a reminder, you've been baptized. You have been promised life after this. And then we sprinkle the coffin with, uh, with holy water you know, as a sign of baptism, a reminder that you've already died and you've already received the promise from God that the water speaks of life that goes beyond this, like the worst of things, right? Yeah, and then, and then at the end of the funeral as well, um, when, we're, when we're saying literally this is the end of the goodbye to the, to the body, uh, the priests all sprinkle and this last funeral that Mike's talking about was really beautiful because it was snowing very gently. Yeah. And we were just, I mean, it was just water everywhere. And all, every single priest, there was a lot of priests there. Um, as the final act, that's the final thing we do um, in terms of that, the funeral mass. is It starts with water and ends with water. Yeah. And that water says something different to a Christian than it would to anybody else. Because we know what it is. We know what it means. That it speaks to us. You're going to live forever. This is not the end. I have conquered this enemy. You know, that, that death was a, the greatest enemy of human beings, and God has conquered it. Okay, so the water speaks to us. Don't be afraid of death. Um, it's real. It's terrible. It sucks. It's the worst. And God hates it and has conquered it and given us life. And, he will, and it's almost like this life with its suffering and its death is like just a little little pinprick. It's like the doctor saying, oh yeah, this is going to hurt for a second and then it's going to be really good for you for a long time. And um, this life is so small in comparison to eternity. So the water is a good reminder of that. It just like splashes, you know. Okay, third one. Through the waters of the Red Sea, you led Israel out of slavery to be an image of God's holy people, set free from sin by baptism. So here you have the image of the Red Sea and Moses and they're running from Pharaoh the people are, have their you know, back up against the wall of the sea, and Pharaoh's army is coming. They're afraid because they've been slaves, and they don't want to go back to slavery. God parts the sea, sets them free, and then the waters come crashing down on Pharaoh and all of his servants. And that's always been an image for Christians of sin and the destruction of the slavery to sin that God has won for us in um, the death and resurrection of Jesus and through our gift of baptism, all right? So this is like a promise that sin will not be the end. Just like death will not be the end, the death of our body is not going to be the end. Sin does not pose to us the death of your soul. God will not let that happen. He has rescued you and he has promised us that he has saved us from what really feels like my faults, my problems, my sin could be the end of my soul. I could really screw this whole thing up, you know? Or we could, I, could, I could end up in uh, hatred or resentment or fear and debilitated by the sins that, um, that threaten to enslave me. So the water becomes this promise of you, you will be saved. You are saved. You will be saved. You, are, you will never be a slave. 
you are set free. So it's like um, in Noah, you see it as more of the contrast with death, dealing with the question of death. But then as salvation history develops, then the water, um, because those are the two big types, really, right, of baptism. Yeah. Is uh, uh, typology was how the fathers, the first theologians and pastors and teachers of the faith, it's how they interpreted, um, how they understood kind of the architecture of salvation history was typology. So a type is a figure. So a, something that prefigured the, f- the fulfillment that was coming in Christ. So baptism, as you're saying, is this definitive place where, where death dies in the waters of baptism uh, because Christ is life because God has become man uh, and entered into creation. Um, but those two are, the two kind of reveal to us more strikingly when we, because the beautiful thing about typology is that it it helps us understand the mystery. So we understand water in light of the the prefigurements that happened in Noah. Yeah, it fills, his, out, fills out this Historical events. But the second water. one you're saying is more about, you're seeing it as sin like the dealing with sin, getting out of slavery, out of Egypt, and moving towards the promised land. Yeah. Well, and I look at the, say I look at the funeral, and I say these are the three enemies of human beings. One is our our death, and that's pretty clear and obvious, suffering and death. One is the fact that we suffer ourselves in sin and the fall. So this isn't just like, okay, the body breaks down. That's separate from the way that my character has flaws and I make bad decisions and I hurt other people. So you say at the funeral, you're looking at your life and you you feel regret. You feel regret for your sins. You don't feel regret because I got cancer. Whatever, you can't do anything Mm -hmm. about that. But you do feel regret because I wish I hadn't hurt that person or you know, I wish I would have... lived better but i was enslaved to these you know these sins these these problems in my life whatever so these are like the two enemies and then i think a third from the from the creation is our self doubt am i worth anything what is my value and the christian doesn't have to live by the standard of the world the world says your value is determined by what you have done did you accomplish enough were you successful did you do everything you could have? Did you actualize yourself? It was kind of like that self and soul, you know, talk we were having. Mm-hmm. This, uh, how do you gauge your your own value? And this says the the Christian says my value comes from the Father and from the Creator, that I am a good creation. And you could even you could even take the words spoken to Jesus at his baptism as like that central message from the water that speaks to all three of these. That is, you, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, that's like a word from God that strikes through death. My son will not die. I will not let them see, see death and corruption. My son will not be a slave, will not be a, son, a slave to sin. And my son will always know their dignity and they will have it forever. You know? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And God speaks that to everyone in their baptism. And the water is transformed so that I can speak to that everywhere, at all times, any place. Whenever you're taking your shower, or you're drinking your water. Drinking your carbonated water because we got a soda stream here. Right? That's right. Flavors, 
No flavors. Flavors like abound. Yeah. yeah. So does that does that make sense? Yeah, we were talking about typology that you have the sacrament is um, is itself powerful to do things that um, were laid out in salvation history. And in these Bible stories, we learn more and more about the meaning of water that was going to be taken over by Jesus and then become a powerful message and a powerful like instrument of uh, transformation and salvation. Yeah, I, um, and the last word I think that comes to mind on this is just the cleansing power of water. Uh, as kind of, because when you talk about like water speaking to us about our sonship in Christ and in the Father, um, not in a magical way, but sacramentality arises out of nature, out of the natural order of things. And, you know, I did a quick workout here today. You take a shower and you don't have to deal with the stench, you know, uh, whatever. And uh, so, yeah, seeing that, I think one of the challenges for, I would guess, for people based on my own experience is like, how does baptism move from being a living reality that I'm constantly sharing, that I'm living in? It's the sacrament of faith. So it's like the source of faith versus kind of my entrance into the club at the beginning of my life that I wasn't really conscious of. I just kind of, it just happened. And there's photos and um, that kind of thing. Hopefully the priest said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son. didn't say we baptize or whatever, you know. Right. Um, the uh, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on like unless you have just a wildly creative imagination like you do where I think you could actually well no I just say that the the I understand the kind of what you're asking and somehow I think the 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 word that God is is speaking to us at baptism this kind of claiming of the person I'm go- that this uh, adoption into the family of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit and all of these pieces that make make us different. Um, that that message, that voice, th- this one is my beloved son, is meant to echo throughout all of your Catholic life. Mm-hmm. And it's the the liturgy, the the mass, all of these um, rituals, even our prayer in the the, the sign of the cross, everything has a way of echoing the the same graces of identity that come from baptism. Um, it of course has just like an ontological reality that is like something changes when you're the baby and you're baptized. I'm going to do a baptism for my niece soon, and I'm excited about that, even though she's not aware of everything that's going on. Who is when they're baptized? These things unfold, and I I like to think of it as the voice echoing um, kind of constantly throughout your life. And those graces unfolding, I, I've learned that baptism. The longer I go, the more important baptism is. It's just like the whole Christian life, all of our life is, and is just like an, an unfolding of the graces of baptism, and everything else is related to it. Um, but how to how to make that a regular something that I'm mindful of on the regular? is part of what I'm wrestling with and part of what I'm trying to do with the the nature and the the water and the other elements like I do think that we're meant to be transformed like the whole the christian could go around the world like neo in the matrix and just see everything see jesus everywhere mm-hmm. you know and see um our own life related to this beautiful 
harmony, the symphony of God's grace going on everywhere. And I think nature is supposed to have been taken by Jesus and, um, and then given to the Christian in a way. So I don't know. That doesn't quite answer your answer no, I your like question, it. But you're asking a very difficult question. I like it. I lo- I, I like that. Like you just summed up, you know, the basic I- intuition uh, and uh, that you've been kind of unfolding here. And I think that's that's the thing: getting beyond our continual grasping at nature to control or to so that we can possess it, so that we can self-create using it. It's a it becomes an instead of just letting it be and wondering at its existence and then at its meaning that it's meaningful that water is actually meaningful and i we got to get holy water back when this whole covid thing happens because mm. we're constantly in touch with that you know and that's that's significant water is everywhere it's it's always a part of our life uh, especially around the easter season so but it can be it can be a blessing whether or not i mean blessed water has a very particular sacramental kind of um, purpose which is to very directly draw our mind to baptism. But I think in a very so- in like a softer way that all of water could do that. Right. If we would just like entered into that kind of mindset and spirituality. So turn your turn your sp- spirits watery this 2021. That's your resolution. That's the resolution. There it is. And take a booze cruise at uh, as the sun's setting on a nice lake in Minnesota on a, on a pontoon when the loons are flying. I mean, that's water at, at its at its yeah, most it is. beautiful. It so. is, or like a warm when it rains and it's warm. That doesn't happen very often in Colorado, but I love it. Warm Just rain standing outside. Yeah, very nice. Thank you, my friend. You got uh, it, man. You got any shout outs? Um, I want to thank some chica who sent in a a CD by a band called Yes from the late 60s and the early 70s, I believe, with um, some rocking uh, recorder um, instrumentals. So they they have... I really find this band has two um, gifts. I don't know. Yes? You're talking about Yes? Yes. Aren't they Swedish? Are they? I think so. I don't know. But they have... uh, I think there's a Yes Museum next to your... awesome keyboard instrumentalist and then somebody on the recorder remember i had mentioned on this podcast that i you know nobody plays the recorder after middle school right and then i get this cd but i wish i could remember your name i'm gonna look it up but i wanted to thank you in the meantime also keith parsons you're cool keith parsons very nice uh speaking of uh water uh had a great uh, couple days in aspen skiing and father Derek lear it defies my understanding that priests get lamer very quickly after their ordination because he was rocking it on the snowboard. Oh, yeah. He was just just he's, bombing. He's ramping up on the cool. Yeah. And uh, so um, Mary Hinks, who works with him up there, uh, hanging out with them. And uh, so shout out, Father Derek. Hey, uh, Father thanks Derek. for listening. It was great to be together. Thanks for your hospitality. And uh, we look forward to... Uh, getting some uh, freshies with you again soon yeah i want that invite to aspen because i uh i love skiing and have wanted to ski with you for a while so well there you go yeah god bless you everybody catholic happy stuff. steel anniversary happy steel anniversary from catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening we're coming back at you in just a few go ahead.